You're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars podcast with Nafa Ahoy, a show that shares the stories of successful Africans in business and how they did it. It's our story told our way to inspire our people. This podcast is sponsored by IDS Consultant Ghana Limited, a company dedicated to supporting small and medium-sized enterprises with accounting and business advisory services at an affordable rate. Visit www.idsconsultantga.com to learn more. But I'm also the type of person who feels it's okay to fail, to try, and if it doesn't work out, I believe you can pick yourself up and move on, right? So try it for a few years. doesn't work out. My belief, or the way I thought about it was, I will still have learned a lot. You're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars. My name is Nefa Ahoy, and our guest today is an MIT alumnus who has changed the face of mobile payments within Ghana. He's currently the co-founder and CEO of Express Pay, a growing fintech company in West Africa. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nefa. Welcome to Africa's Business Rockstars. Thank you. How are you doing? Not too bad. Yes? How's the week been? It's been a busy week. Mm. It's been a tough week, but not too bad. Yeah? I hope we can allow you to, you know, unwind and de-stress, you know, on our podcast. I expect this will be a very fun conversation. So. Extremely. All right. So when we hear um, Express Pay, I mean, the name Curtis is associated with this. One of four partners, correct? Yes. That's right. Okay. But before we delve into that, tell us about 10-year-old Curtis growing up. Hmm. Yeah. 10-year-old Curtis. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting way to start. But I would say I was one of those kids who loved to run around. So I was one of those kids climbing trees. Hmm. Jumping down trees, getting chased by dogs, mm. crossing gutters, riding my bicycle outside the house when my mom didn't want me to. That was the type of kid I was. Okay. And then um, one of the things I enjoyed, actually, we used to walk to school. Oh. Back then, I used to walk to school. So mm. I went to school at Alsted Academy okay. in Jolu. So I grew up in Jolu. Okay. And we used to walk to school. So you walk with a bunch of other kids. You're having fun on the way. Yeah. You walk back home and so on. Sometimes you do a couple of naughty things, like go and press someone's doorbell and run. You know, <laughs> the typical things. Young silly kids do. But yeah. It was good. It wasn't bad at all. Right. Yeah. And then post Alcid? So post Alcid, I went to St. Andrew's GSS okay. or Presec GSS. Mm. So some people call it Presec GSS. Mm. So it was funny. It was interesting because I left a private primary school mm. to go to a public school. And that was, a, that was a good experience for me as a young child because mm. that's when I guess how we see it in Ghana, it became hard in a way because that's when I started. Because my family moved from Jolly, we moved to Hartshire, so okay. it was much further away. But Presec GSS or St. Andrews was in the New Road area, right. Medina area, right? right? So then we started taking Trotra and so on. So it was also quite a good experience. And it was an exciting time for us because our parents wanted us to go to Presec. Okay. Right. Because Presec was a very good school. It's still a very good school. Mm. And they had set up this GSS, mm. which was affiliated to Presec. So our first year was great in that the class was very competitive because you had folks who had, or parents who had similar ideas, okay. who moved their kids from a bunch of different schools and sent us all to St. Andrews. So it made a very fun, competitive class. Right. And it was different because the public school was good exposure for myself and some of our friends as well. To also have an understanding of people from different backgrounds. Yeah. So I thought it helped shape me. Yeah. And it, it was a great experience. Our teachers were great. We loved it. Right. So after that, did you get into Presec for secondary school? I did. Hmm. Interestingly enough, I did. Hmm. But I didn't stay for long. Oh. 
So it was almost like much ado about nothing, right? <laughs> but I'm one of those who believes that all your experiences are building blocks okay. and you learn from all of them, you grow from all of them. So I got into Prosec. I was at Prosec for two terms. So the hardest two terms, form mm. one, I did first term, second term, and then I left for SOS. Okay. Yeah. Why the switch? Again, and this I would credit to my parents. Mm. I think, and I think that's what parents should do. As a parent now, I appreciate it and I understand it. Parents always want to get the best opportunities for their kids. Yeah. So it was at a time where there were lots of strikes. Okay. So university lecturers were going on strike mm. and there was a long backlog. Mm. Students had to wait a couple of years before they got into university. Right. And my dad was super frustrated with that experience and thought, it would be great for me to get a chance to go to university abroad, mm. right? So he thought moving me to SOS will give me the most opportunity. Yeah. And that's what my parents chose to do. So they had a conversation with me about it because typically most people go to SOS after JSS. Okay. Now I had gone to SSS. A few people at SOS also do this where okay. they, go, they go to SSS. So they asked if I didn't mind. When I said I didn't mind, I would go take the exam and we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And we took it from there. So I know getting into SOS, it's one of the tough processes. Like you mentioned, you need to take an exam and all of that. So what was it like prepping for that? How was the exam process like and all? Wow, you're taking me back many, many years, huh? <laughs> so prepping for the exam wasn't too bad. Okay. So I can tell you, so we can jump into it. So I was in Prosec, so in my dorm room. Mm. When you're done, so I'm done with my regular SSS courses or mm. work, whatever. Mm. So nighttime when you're meant to turn off your lights mm. in the dorm room, <laughs> I have a torchlight. Um, I turn on my torchlight and then I'm studying for the SOS exam. Right. And that's how I essentially did it. But interestingly, so there were, I had three other friends at Prosec who were also studying for the exam. So okay. we were sort of encouraging each other and so on, encouraging each other about studying for the exam. So that's why I, I used to do that. Just please turn off the lights, study for the exam. Yeah. And then... Called the day. Yeah. And so I just did that. And then when it was D-Day, took the went, exam. went over to take the <laughs> exam and was fortunate enough to get in. Yeah. What did you study in SOS? So SOS has IGCSE, which has nine subjects. I don't remember all the subjects, okay. to be honest. That's quite bad. <laughs> which one did you like? So at Presec as well, I was a science student. Okay. I was always right. inclined towards science and math. Okay. But at SOS, when you go to IGCSE, it's like the old O level, right? right? So you have a whole bunch of courses. I actually enjoyed all of them, mm. to be honest. Mm. I struggled with languages. It's still something I want to master. I want to be able to become fluent in French, for instance. Mm. But outside French, I think I was fine with almost what with everything else. Okay. I did I did enjoy the sciences. I love physics the most. Okay. But interestingly, I performed better in chemistry than physics. I never understood that back then. Right. Anyway. But in terms of math, physics, all of that stuff I enjoyed. But I also one of the interesting things about going to an SOS is the broad base. So I was studying literature, mm. you know, whereas in SSS, you wouldn't be doing that, right? Mm. So I was studying literature and so on. I enjoyed all of that. Mm. It was a great experience. I loved SOS. I still say SOS is the best school in the country, mm. even to this day. Right. Yeah. So physics and chemistry, but then we see you in the financial industry. Mm -hmm. There's really no relationship between those two. There, there is, and I'll tell okay. you why. Right. Remember I said, I believe all your experiences are building blocks. Right. And well, I'm sure you're going to ask me about investing. Yes, but I will. I believe that what you're learning as you go along is the ability to solve problems, the ability to think critically mm. and so on. Mm. It's not so much subject specific. Mm. As, and especially in the US, you get an appreciation for people who do 
very different things. Mm. You find a music major at an investment bank, mm. at a top investment bank, mm. because it's about your ability to think through yeah, and how solve to apply. the problem. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's what we need as a nation, actually, even in Ghana. We need to get to the point where we're training children, we're training everyone to be able to think critically. Yeah. So regardless of the space you're in, you have the right skill sets to be able to thrive. Yeah. 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 So post SOS, that's when you go into MIT, correct? Yes. Had you always known that you'd go into one of the top ranking schools in the United States? It's not a guarantee. It's okay. never a guarantee. No, not it's to an enter. It's an, an aspiration, <laughs> Wait, but okay. it's never, never a guarantee. All right. So um, again, you're taking me back. I can tell you about the process. So yeah. the way we, we thought about the university process, because a lot of us actually needed financial aid mm. to get into university or to be able to go. Yeah. Because it's so much more expensive than what our parents could afford. Definitely. And so you have a plan. And the good thing about an SOS, and don't get me wrong, you have brilliant students from the other schools who mm. also make it to universities abroad. Mm. A lot of them by their share Drive. Drive, exactly, yeah. right? SOS, you're a bit more fortunate because... SOS had been doing this for a little while. Okay. So you have a career guidance counselor and so on who can, tell, who can talk to you about the application process, how to think through it and so on. So what we would do is you have a strategy. You have some schools that are very hard to get into that you're going to apply to. Mm. Some schools that are moderate mm. to get into. They have some schools that are meant to be easier to get into. Right. And you apply to a bunch of them. So I, if I recall, I think I applied to at least 10 schools. Okay. Potentially more. All but right. you spread it out. You apply to a bunch of schools. Everyone's aspiring to go to their best school or their, their school of choice. Of course. But if that doesn't work out, life has to go on. You can go to another school and still be okay. So do you recall like your top three schools that you applied to and said, if I get any of these, that would be amazing. I don't remember my top three, but I know I really wanted to do MIT. Okay. And so <laughs> MIT was definitely my top choice. And also because I wanted to be an engineer. Okay. And MIT is top when it comes to engineering. So for me, that was really where I wanted to go. Right. And so I was super excited when I got in. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot harder than it seems. So when you're here, you're aspiring, you want to go there. When you go there, you realize, wow, Charlie, Yeah. you think you have level in Ghana, but yeah. when you go there, <laughs> levels day, because it's now worldwide competition, right? Yeah. But I don't remember the other, I think I applied to Princeton. I don't remember. I applied to Harvard. I applied to, I don't remember if I applied to Princeton. I think I did. I applied to Brown as the top, some of the top schools yeah. I applied to. Interestingly, I didn't do Stanford. Okay, so you get into MIT. You mentioned it's quite tough to get in there. So you need to either have funding or parents can pay. So in your instance, how did you get into MIT in terms of how much it was going to cost you? So remember first, they have what you call need blind admissions. So you still have to get in on merit. Right. So the schools would evaluate your application based on merit. Right. And then if you get in, then they try and put together a financial aid package for you. Okay. And the financial aid package, I know it's probably changed a little bit since then, but back then is a mix of grants or scholarships, mm-hmm. loans, mm-hmm. um, and then what you call work study. Mm-hmm. So whilst you're on campus, you expect it to be working as well mm-hmm. to try and get some funds to aid or add up to what you need to pay for the full year. Yeah. So that's how MIT structured it. And that's how mine was structured. So I had a mix of all three. I had some loans after school, mm. I had the scholarship component and I used to work on campus as well. Okay. And then work on the summers as well. Okay. The summers as well. Yeah. Okay. So you had some loans, meaning that once you're done, you have to repay those loans, Absolutely. right? So how did you go about doing that? Young guy from Ghana, gone to a top school. Okay. Now I have debt. <laughs> you get a job and uh-huh. you pound, pound, pound. You so what are the type of jobs that you did and how did you pound? It's almost impossible, mm-hmm. at least back then, 
to try and pay off the loans whilst you're in school. Okay. So the thought is not to pay off the loans whilst you're in school. You right. get the loans, it's obviously accruing interest. Right. And then afterwards, you get a job and try and pay it off. Yeah. So I did grad school right after. Okay. So a lot of people may finish undergrad get a job for a few years and mm. go to grad school. Mm. I chose to do grad school right after, okay. which is quite interesting because I had this, I applied for a new program, which was called the Singapore MIT Alliance program. Okay. And so it meant getting a degree from MIT and spending a year in Singapore and getting a degree from Singapore as well. Mm. And for me at the time, I know I haven't answered your, your loan question, but I'll come to it shortly. Yeah. At the time I was still, very fascinated by how we move our country forward, how we develop as a nation and so on. And Singapore had done such an amazing job. Mm. So I jumped at it. Mm. So I did that first. And then I came back to the U.S. and took a job in management consulting. Okay. So I started out with Bain & Company and worked at Bain & Company a few years. And then I moved to Visa mm. and worked with Visa a few years before moving back to Ghana. So it's whilst I was working is when I then started paying back the mm. loan. So mm. once I got into full-time employment, mm started making and you have to make sure student that is one of those that you can just there's nothing you can do about it it lives yeah. with you forever essentially yeah. so I had to continue paying continue paying continue paying to try and clear it off right and I did. yeah so you went to Singapore came back to MIT right back to the US back to the US and moved back to Ghana but it's never really that simple mm-hmm. to just decide to get up mm-hmm. from a developed country like the United States mm-hmm. come back to our West African country where you are saying you need to it's, change it's home <laughs> when I say you need to change, you know, you felt the need to change and contribute your quota, I guess, to our economy. So are you saying it wasn't a difficult decision for you at all? So not necessarily it wasn't a difficult decision, but I think I've always thought of myself as someone who likes to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And so, and even in university, MIT is the kind of university that's also training you to try and solve problems, okay. take on tough problems and solve problems. So I always knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Mm. And the question was where? Mm. But I also had an inclination to want to do it at home mm. rather than abroad. Right. The thought being, we have a lot of problems that we need solutions to. If we have the ability to solve them or the ability to attempt to solve them, yeah. we should take it. Yeah. And my mindset was in the U.S., you have lots of people who have the ability and are doing very well in the U.S. and are thriving in the U.S., mm. Back home, we have people who are trying to solve problems as well, but mm. being home, there's a connection. Mm. And so I always had a pool. Mm. It's not easy because you're giving up a lot mm-hmm. and you're taking a lot of risk. Yes. Right. So you have, you're living a very comfortable lifestyle. Exactly. You're getting your paycheck. You're living the American dream, exactly. to be honest, right? Yes. Anything you want, you can get kind of thing. You're yeah. fine. You're comfortable. You're good. So it is still a tough decision, but I'm also the type of person who feels it's okay to fail, okay. to try. And if it doesn't work out, I believe you can pick yourself up and move on, mm. right? So try it for a few years. Mm. doesn't work out. My belief or the way I thought about it was I will still have learned a lot mm. and I had the confidence that I will still be marketable enough to be able to take on a, an exciting opportunity or to get an exciting opportunity elsewhere right. because of my combined experiences plus my experience in Africa or right, in Ghana right. because a lot of even if you thought about western companies where and I was working with western companies were starting to get more and more interested in emerging markets mm. right not so much Ghana at the time but it was growing okay. and so I thought that that experience would still be valuable uh, regardless of how it turned out yeah didn't your parents think you were crazy oh, they absolutely it's interesting you say that they absolutely did mm. and <laughs> 
interestingly, the initial response was discouraging. Yeah. Like most typical African parents who yes. feel... Remember the, the, the journey we've talked about? Yeah. My parents saying, yeah, I want to give my child the best opportunities or my children the best opportunities. I want to position them so they can get the most out of it. They've done all of that. They succeeded to send you abroad, yeah. right? You go there, you say, you're coming back. <laughs> what do you mean you're coming back? <laughs> after all this work, after all that they've put in, you're coming back. So... There was resistance, okay. but I think they realized that I really was bent on it. And I'm one of those kind of stubborn <laughs> people who, if I set my mind to something, I'm going to try and make yeah. it happen. And so, honestly, I didn't give them much of a choice. Okay. Right? So, because you had grown up at that point, right? Yeah. So you can make the decision. Yeah. So I made the call. Initially, yeah. they were discouraging. But once I made the move, they were super supportive. Because at that point, you want to see your child succeed. Yeah. Right. So they are my biggest champions. Super excited by what we are doing. Mm. Can't complain now. Mm. And I'm thrilled to see that it's actually working out yeah. at least up to this point. Yeah. yeah. So you've relocated, you're done with university, you've yeah. worked, gotten some work experience, you've paid off your loans, you relocated back to home, mm-hmm. Ghana, or you're back to nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Basically. Mm-hmm. So how- As in starting from scratch. Starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? It was fine because I came in, in fact, I came with a lot of optimism. Mm. I came in expecting that it would be easier than it turned out to be. Mm. So like most entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs generally are very bullish about the idea. They're excited. They're usually overly optimistic about how quickly the idea will work out. Any entrepreneur listening would agree. I mean, they'll have the best projections and so on. (laughs) And you are super excited and you feel like you've really thought through your thing. You have all this conviction. This it's going to work. work. Yeah. Right. Failure is not an option. That was me. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'll tell you this funny little story. Right. Okay. So I'd spoken to a friend who had done a similar thing earlier than us. And okay. I think during one of my visits, he did management consulting as well in the U S yeah. quit his job, moved back to Ghana uh, to start his business. Yeah. And I met him to try and get a sense of, okay, What's it been like? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He told me that coming down, I should assume I'm not going to make any money for two years. Okay. And make sure I have enough money for all my obligations for those two years. Okay. And no matter how exciting and good and smart I think I am, Mm. right? Mm. Just assume that you won't get the revenues and things you're expecting that quickly. And it'll take two years before you make anything. So before you make the decision, make sure you've at least saved enough for two years yeah. to be able to sort of take care of yourself, meet your obligations. Yeah. And funny enough, he told me in that conversation that I probably will not believe what he's telling me. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's true. And lo and behold, it was it was true. Yeah, I was going to I ask mean, it you. Takes, it takes a long time. It yeah. takes a long time. And I didn't, I, exactly what he said, I was thinking, no, no, Bill, you can't be serious, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that can possibly be the case. Mm-hmm. And... It is tougher than you expect. And I'm sure we'll go into that. Yeah. But it is tougher than you expect. It takes longer than you expect. Yeah. So it's a prudent approach. But it's very hard to really say, I've saved up money for two years, right? And then you have to be disciplined as well. So when I came in, I wasn't sort of going out all the time. Yeah. So on this balance, yeah. your head's down, yeah. you're focused, you're trying to get work done. Yeah. Otherwise, you blow your money very, very quickly. Yeah. So me, for us, we hadn't raised money so yeah, using your own money for the business okay. and so on. Yeah. So I see you keep referring to one us. So I'm sure this yeah. is your partners. Correct. Right. So this is all of you who were out in the United States. Yeah. So maybe I can tell you a bit about how we thought through it. So yes. I had come down. Mm. So I was working at Visa, as I mentioned. Yeah. And I was looking at emerging markets and so on, Ghana being one of them. Mm. But I thought there was opportunity. Mm. But globally, the thought was there were other markets that were 
drawing the attention of the organization, right? We're yeah. grabbing that organization's attention a little more. And I thought it was an opportunity to do this in Ghana because I'll come home to try and pay for something and it was such a hassle, it was such a mess. And so I thought about it and then I spoke to a couple of my friends. So I have three co-founders. Okay. Kojo Hesse, mm. William Tete, mm. and Kwe Hesse. Mm. And so I spoke to them and I knew that they were also thinking about this space. So Kojo and William went to MIT with me okay. a couple of years ahead of me. Okay. We were all at MIT, so we all knew each other. Also all from Ghana. Okay. And so I knew they were looking at this space as well. And so I spoke to them about it and it wasn't a straightforward. It wasn't straight away. Yes, let's do it. In fact, yeah. I think the first time I spoke about it, it took at least six, eight months before we actually got <laughs> together to say, let's, let's do, do this. it. Okay. But I think Kojo had moved before. Because uh, you had moved to Ghana, mm. and like most people who are here, when you come from abroad, you probably think you're not really serious, mm. right? You are talking about it, these lofty ideas, but you don't really mean it. Yeah. So I think it's after I moved down, with someone could you realize, okay, because he's really serious this. about yeah. this and so yeah. on. And that's how we got together and said, let's take a stab at it okay. and do it. And we were bringing our collective experiences to bear. Mm. So could you and Will, for instance, are MIT computer science majors. So okay. it's the best there is. Okay. It's as good as it gets, right? Mm. And so we made a great team because mm. I'm actually a mechanical engineer by training. Okay. Right? So I knew how to program and so on, but that was not my core strength. And when you think of my experience as well, I've gone into business. Yeah. I'm um, also then computer computer programming and so on. And so we made a great team with Quay as well, who was very good at the creatives and the front end development and said, let's take a stab at this yeah. and make it happen. <laughs> but it seems like you, like you said, you suffered to actually convince them because first it was all talk, right? Did they have to see something before they actually believed and said, we can do this together? No, not re- not suffered per se, mm. because the first time I talked about it, I was still in the US. Mm. In fact, I had come down. I think I talked about it before mm. I moved down, but I'd come down. I had a small prototype. I mm. met a few banks. Mm. I met a couple of service providers, ECG, Ghana okay. Water. Okay. And they all seemed quite excited by the idea and thought this could work. Right. So that gave me confidence to say, yes, because I, I believe that there was a clear need. Because what we found in the market was the banks had done a decent job. People had ATM cards, okay, right? A decent number of ATM cards were in the system, but everyone just used their cards for cash. Okay, so everyone just went to the ATM, pulled out cash to pay for everything. Mm. In fact, um, for services you pay at the bank, mm. it was not unusual for someone to show up at the bank branch. Go to the ATM outside yes. the bank branch, take out cash yeah. and walk into the bank yeah. branch because it was an easier process yeah. than going to collect cash from your bank or tell them to transfer money from your account yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. And we thought it was absurd. Mm. The story I like to say is before Express Pay, mm. you could not pay for your internet on the internet. <laughs> right? I right. don't remember those days, but you had to leave drive somewhere, yeah. go get a voucher. Yeah. Until it's finished. Yeah. You're now driving around looking for a voucher yeah. before you go back to your computer. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have money in your bank account. You have a card. Yeah. You have the internet. Yeah. And we just couldn't believe it. <laughs> and we thought it was a no-brainer. Yeah. And so once we said, let's let's take a stab at it, we were full steam ahead. So this was in what year? This was 2012. 2012. Yeah. Okay. And immediately you started, you knew it would be called Express Pay? Yeah, so the names we toyed around with were Quick Pay mm. and Express Pay. Mm. There are a couple other variations, mm. but we thought Express Pay had a better ring to it. Mm. And so that's why we ended up with Express Pay. And I feel as if my memory is a little dated now, but 
I think there was a bank product that was called QuickPay okay. at the time. So we, it was one of the reasons I think we sort of, yeah. yeah. But that was how we thought through it. We went through yeah. a lot of names, different yeah. combinations. Yeah. And we thought the whole concept of, you want it to be express. You want it to be fast. Instant, So you yeah. want people to just... By the virtue of the name, yeah. they get it right away. Yeah. Right? And that's how we came up with the name Express Pay. Yeah. You know, most, um, well, I shouldn't say most, but in some instances where you're starting a business and yeah. you actually think about partnering with someone, mm-hmm. you're most likely to probably choose your family member. Because mm-hmm. you know, I can trust this person. Mm-hmm. My sibling, if he messes up, I can deal with him. Mm-hmm. But you go into partnerships with friends yeah. or individuals that you met through university, in your case, for instance. Yeah. What was that like? Was it challenging? Have you had some upsides and some downsides, disagreements, you know, normal things that happening with business partnerships that in the long run, actually, some people tend to fall out. Yeah. So what has it been like the four of you together since 2012? You've been together for quite a while. And I think that in itself, even if you put the company aside, mm. keeping a partnership together in itself is success. Okay. Because partnerships are so hard to pull off. Yeah. So I did say university, but Kojo, for instance, went to SOS as well. Okay. So I've known Kojo since high school okay. and we have a mix. Kwe and Kojo are brothers. Okay. Right. <laughs> so we have a mix of the family and friends. Sure. And then I met Will in high school, but we've known each other for what is it? 20 years now. Mm. So that's a long time. Mm. Obviously mm. when we started, it hadn't been 20 because we've been at this for a little while. Yeah. But we also had similar thinking skill sets and similar mindsets because we went to the same engineering school, mm. the same can-do attitude, mm. the same drive to solve problems. Yeah. So that was already a unifying force. Yeah. It is tough because we all feel like we are smart, right? So yeah. there are times where everybody feels like, no, <laughs> yes, but <laughs> it's a balance. Yeah. And I think you need to be honest and you need to have people you can trust. And yeah. I think we are honest with each other. We do fight. You will fight in partnerships. You will have disagreements and you have to talk through it and then move on from it. I think it's more you need to be able to resolve those disagreements versus just have it seething underneath forever and then it blows up and Mm. then everybody says they're going their own separate ways. That's not us. I think we, we sort of are the type who would speak through it, will speak our mind, will call each other out. Yeah. And we hold each other accountable. Yeah. And we've also been where there are times where maybe saying, there are clashes. We said, okay, maybe let's separate who owns what, not owns sure. from an ownership perspective, but who is managing this piece, who is managing this piece, who is getting the the final view or saying. And yeah. we're actually quite collaborative in a lot of our decision-making. Okay. So it's not one person always makes all the decisions. Right. I think that sometimes can cause some problems. But as we've grown and so on. Obviously there are lots of responsibilities. Mm. So you designate the responsibilities and then you hold each other accountable. Mm. It's not easy, but I'm glad we've been able to do as well as we've done. I think it's encouraging. There are other partnerships as well Mm. that you can point to. Obviously Mm. there are lots that haven't worked out, but I think it's doable, Yeah, but you need to have the right people with you. You need to have the right team, the right partners, people you can trust and go far with. So for your first two years, yeah. based on Bill's um, <laughs> breakdown mm-hmm. of, you know, of coming back and starting your business. So there's four of you who mm-hmm. want to do this. Yeah. You, how did you pull your resources together? How did you finance the very beginning, you know, of Express Pay? So I think we were kind of fortunate because we had worked abroad. Okay. So we had some savings. Mm. So we pumped in our own money. Mm. How much did was. you start with? I don't have a figure because it was... You're pumping in as you go along. You're pumping Mm. in as you go along. Mm. So I don't have a set number. Mm. But what we did was we basically were bootstrapping it, bootstrapping it, bootstrapping it. 
putting money when we needed the money, putting money when we needed the money. Mm-hmm. And then in 2014, we did a small friends and family raise. Okay. So that gives you a sense. So to build credits, yes, mm. two years after you decide, okay, I now have something I think can work. Yeah. So let me get a little bit of money to give it a little bit of a push. Yeah. And so 2014, we did a small friends and family raise, which was helpful, very helpful. Mm. And that's what allowed us to even start to, start doing social media ads yeah. and so on. But before that, it was a hustle every day. Yeah. Hustle every day, <laughs> hustle every day. Obviously no pay for anyone, yeah. right? You're just pounding the pavement, pounding the pavement. And a lot of that time, actually, we spent time building a platform, but a lot of the time was also spent talking to businesses, getting the businesses on the platform, mm. right? So we haven't talked about what Express Bay is, but, yes. <laughs> we can, but basically it was getting all these businesses on the platform because the nature of our business was we're trying to make it easy for consumers to access all these services, to pay for their internet, to pay for their DSP, to pay for their airtime, right? To pay for their electricity bill, their water bill. But the first thing you need to do is get that electricity company on, yeah. the internet company on. Yeah. So it was pounding the pavement, pounding the pavement to get these businesses on yeah. before you had something that was interesting enough to offer to consumers. Yeah. And so that took us a lot longer than we thought. Where a lot longer is about how long? So I'll give you two examples. So one of them was a multinational company mm. who shall not be named. And we thought telling them we have this concept where your customers can pay you 24-7 anytime, whether it's a weekend or a holiday, they can pay you and their service can continue running and you get more revenue. We thought it'd be a no-brainer. We thought it would be, where do I sign? Where do I sign? Yeah. Let's get this going quickly. It took us 20 months mm. to get that multinational on board the platform. Mm. I couldn't believe it. But why is that? The leadership, I think, got it fairly quickly. Okay. But the bureaucratic process of getting us onboarded and so on took a long time. It wasn't clear whether internally some people were trying to do something, you know, yeah. the usual things you hear or not. But it was a frustratingly long process yeah. to get them on board. And we were very shocked by that. We thought, hey, this should be quick. So <laughs> the same thing I talked about where an entrepreneur is so excited and they think, this idea is great. You yeah. tell someone, they say, oh, this is great. You think max three months, they're yeah. done. 20 months. I couldn't believe it. Another provider, again, who shall not be named. Believe it or not, Kojo and I went there at least 50 times in one year. 50, wow. five, zero. Because we would go there sometimes three times a week. So say you go there Monday, they tell you to come back on Wednesday. You go on Wednesday. So it's not by 50 times, you didn't have a meeting each time, but we were meant to go because... We're expecting feedback. Yeah. So you go there Monday, they tell you to come back Wednesday. You come back Wednesday. Oh, he's not in. So come on Friday. So that's three times in one week. Yeah. Now, if you multiply that by four, that's already 12 times in one month. And yeah. we're that persistent. So imagine you're chasing a client like this for five, six months. You are going there a lot. Yeah. At some point, they told us we should just call <laughs> because it was getting embarrassing. These were frustrating moments, but we were so convinced. Again, yeah. this was an example where leadership wanted it. But getting everybody on board, t- yes, yeah. took a while. And yeah. we weren't sure if there were other reasons people didn't want such a platform because it made it too easy for customers to pay. We weren't quite sure. Yeah. Um, but that's those are some of the things that made it challenging. But we just were so persistent and we just kept pounding the pavement. I think that's that was what was, was great and yeah. got us to where we are now. Yeah. So at what point in time in this journey where you are, you have so like teething problems, you know, challenges, Sometimes getting a no, I'm sure, from potential um, partners. But at what point in time did you all realize that this actually works? We have actually arrived and Express Pay is here. I don't think we are there yet. Okay. I would even say we are still <laughs> not there. It works. Okay. It's great. We, we built a company, but... 
for our ambitions, there's so yeah. much more. There's no, so but much in terms of we can actually kick this thing, it can actually start running now. Oh, in yeah. terms of it can. Well, it's always been. It's a tough one because I don't think we've reached a turning point where we said it can start running. We were the kind of guys who were excited when our first five friends mm. tried it and said, wow, mm. this is great, mm. right? It's where you're counting. Mm. And I'm the kind of person, so the way I was, when I come here, my friend, and I tell mm. you you're doing this, I'm not giving you an option. I take your phone and I put the <laughs> app on there yeah. and I set you up and I say, try it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And that's how we set off, yeah. right? That's where we were literally forcing our friends and families yeah to use the app, to yeah. use the platform. Yeah. And so the first 10, the first 20, the first 100 yeah. was all exciting. What was encouraging, I think, and that's what was interesting for us, is as soon as customers tried it, they loved it. Right. And so we, right. and we had some customers who were kind enough to send us emails. Mm. So giving us positive feedback, positive mm. reinforcement, kudos, guys, this is great. Mm. I can't believe this hasn't been in Ghana this long. So that was always very encouraging. And we yeah. have some of those quotes yeah. where people email <laughs> us and then, the exciting bits is people also tell us that they love the fact that they can pay for airtime. Right. But they would love to be able to pay their water bill, for instance. Yeah. And that also drove us and even helped us figure out which merchants yeah. or which services yeah. to go to next. Yeah. So to put in perspective, we started out with services like airtime, with internet, with mm. water. Mm. And then people said they wanted to be able to transfer money. Mm. And that's what got us into the money transfer space, mm. right? Because we're also listening to our users, taking that feedback and making sure we're trying to meet their needs. Because yeah. that's when you remain relevant uh, to your customers. And so for us, it was just a gradual, again, every little bit counts yeah. type of approach. Every new customer counts. And what was exciting for us as well is people who tried the platform love the platform and naturally told their friends about it. Right. And so we even have a refer friend program on the on the app where you can refer to your friends so they can sign up and so on. And that's been very early. But regardless of that program, people naturally say you're talking to your friends mm. and you go to your house, you're meant to watch a program and their DSTV is off. Mm. Oh, why haven't you paid your... Oh, I need to send the drivers. Oh, have you not heard of Express Pay? Yeah. Just use Express <laughs> Really? And that's how it works. So yeah. the person pays for their DSTV on the spot. It comes on... Then the person excited, the person is hooked. Yeah. And the person's like, wow, how come I didn't know about this? So word of mouth has been huge for us because I think fortunately we focused on the user experience to mm. make sure people are getting a good experience on the platform. And that has naturally reinforced people's acceptance of the of the platform. Yeah. So I was going to say it sounds like Ghanaians accepted Express Pay from the get-go. So that makes it sound a little too easy. Okay. <laughs> so there are demographics mm -hmm. that get the concept right away, mm -hmm. love it, mm -hmm. and can't wait to do it mm -hmm. and want to do away with their old ways of hustling to pay this bill, driving, standing in traffic, yeah. uh, uh, staying in traffic, all yeah. of that stuff. And then you have demographics, and that's easing a bit, and I'll explain why. You have demographics who are like, hmm, these online things. Yeah. Hmm, I'm not sure about this thing. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to put my card in. I don't know, Express Bay and so on. Yes. Um, I'm not sure. So you, okay, mm -hmm. I've heard, but I'll try it later. We have hackers. We have people who take your credit card details. Yeah. All yeah, of that. Yeah. So they yeah. don't fully un appreciate or understand yeah. the nuances of it, but I just worried because of, you know, things like Sakawa was also taken yeah. off back yeah. then. People were talking about Sakawa yeah. here and so on. So you had some people who were concerned. Yeah. But fortunately, that is changing because of the drive or the adoption of electronic payment solutions, including mobile money, okay. right? There's tons of volume over mobile money. A lot of people know mobile money. Mm -hmm. So they are used to now doing things digitally to some extent. Mm -hmm. I would say we are still not all the way there yet. You still have people who say, hmm, 
may I still rather just go to the bank and do this? Yeah. Right. You still yeah. have those, but we also need to know that there are enough people out there yeah. who want to embrace these solutions. It's our job to find those people. Yeah. It's not trivial and we haven't found a silver bullet, but there's a balance. But I think if you do your targeted marketing well, you can figure out what your sweet spot is and then focus on that sweet spot and try and increase your penetration yeah. for that demographic segment. Yeah. yeah. So I know you've mentioned one of your key challenges being basically getting partners on board, you know, mm-hmm. to believe in this idea and then say, we are ready, let's do this. Yeah. But in terms of other things, simple things like, say, office space, where you're working from your homes, you know, we have instances where people were working from their parents' kitchens, you know, all of that. Yeah. That ground up, building it to where you now have your plush office. That's not, it's not <laughs> that, that location. It's not plush yet. But <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have a place where you can actually say it's an office, you know what I mean? But it definitely didn't start out that way. So we were kind of lucky because we had friends who had a company. So we were sort of perching. perching. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we started out perching. Then we rented space, rented and code space from one of our families. And then we're there for a little while. Okay. And then we started okay, getting a little, the team is getting a little big. We need our own space. Yeah. And so that also eased things a little bit for us. So you don't start out with a large rent expense because mm. that's, money that just gets soaked up and there's nothing you can do about it. So yeah. starting out, you want to start out as humble as possible with the bare minimum you need. So mm-hmm. you're keeping your costs down because you want to spend your money on business development. If you have some money for marketing, you spend it on marketing and so on. And so that was our trajectory where we purged for a little bit. Then we started paying even with our friend space a little bit. Mm. And then we were fortunate enough for family to give us some space mm. for a little bit. Then we went to an official space that was ours we were paying a landlord yeah and then we moved to a, another place yeah. where we were paying a landlord which yeah. is our current place what was that feeling like when you moved into your own place i didn't have any major sentimental value there okay because again you're renting say you built your own office <laughs> yes then you can yeah. feel like yes yeah but well you're renting someone's space so for us it was just a necessity it was a need for the business we did based on business need yeah so team size and we cut our code according to our size right so when we moved we moved to a space based on what we could afford and the size of the team but when you realize you're getting big and the space is getting too small now you need to go to a a different space but fortunately the team is also growing because business is growing right so you need a larger team and so on and so that's naturally how we've progressed. So let's delve deeper into the team. You started okay. with, so a group of four, right? Let's yes. take it like that. Yeah. And when we started, literally, yeah. we were doing everything. Okay. We were doing business development. We were doing programming. When we make the service went live, we we're doing customer support. Okay. Everything. And then that was good, actually. It was good for us to do end to end. We were hustling, chasing. We started out with the airtime we are buying from vendors. Mm. She's literally going to find a vendor somewhere, give him cash. And when I say vendors at the time, we didn't have direct relations with the big people like yeah. MTN, Vodafone, yeah. all of them, right? So you are going to the vendor, who is uh, the distributor, sorry, yeah. to find a distributor, give the distributor some 500 CDs cash. He sent you the electronic credits yeah. and so on. That's how we started. Where you're driving somewhere, meet a guy with cash. You drive here, meet a guy with cash. That's how it started. Yeah. And then you graduate. And so you're doing everything. You're running around here. You're going here. You go back to the office. You're programming in the night, <laughs> right? <laughs> to build the platform. The next morning, you have, you're meeting this business because you're trying to get them on board. Yeah. He believes that there's a massive team out there. <laughs> but it's actually just four individuals. <laughs> no, it, was, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And then you gradually add, I think one of the things we did right was we started out with customer service. Okay. The first thing we did was we need someone 
who can be on the phones and can address any problems people may have because yeah. it's electronic payments is yeah. new. Yeah. People are not as comfortable. You want them to feel like they can reach you and have their problem ad- addressed, whatever that problem may be. Yeah. Or even question you about simple things like people didn't know what the dates on the card were. You know, some cards have both yeah. the valid dates yeah. and the exp- yeah. they didn't know what yeah. it was. People didn't know what a CVV was, yeah. right? Yeah. So you needed to, you know, to walk people through. So that was one of the things we did, right, where we started out with, customer support. So mm. our first um, staff were customer support staff. Mm. And then we gradually increased that that team. And then that allowed us to continue the other things. Yeah. And then today we're about 40. So still a small company, mm. but pushing hard. Mm. About 40 people in the team at the moment. With the key areas, I'm sure, like key focus areas that you definitely need for a business. Yeah. So for us, we still pride ourselves in customer service. So I think our customer service team is our largest team okay. in the office. Okay. Then you have developers, you have finance, you have marketing okay. and so on. Yeah. Right. How did you recruit these people? So recruitment is, and we are still recruiting. We always want excellent talent. Mm. Finding good talent is hard. How did we recruit them? Yeah. We didn't have a single option. Some were referrals. Okay. Some we put out job specs on okay. social media. Okay. So on WhatsApp groups and so on. And then people apply directly. Mm. Some actually came to us. Maybe they knew our company or they, we presented somewhere mm. and they reached out to us and were interested. We interviewed them and then, and then took them on board. Talent is still a challenge. I'd say in terms of finding good people, we're still looking for good people. We're always looking for strong developers, especially. Okay. And we'll eat them up. We <laughs> want, we still want a lot of strong developers because Tech is we are a technology company. Yeah. So we are always open to hiring excellent talent. We haven't figured out the silver bullet. So it's all over the place. We're mm. putting out job specs, mm. asking people, asking colleagues in the industry how they hired people. We've done some presentations at some schools. So I want to try and get people in. Yeah. So we have some people intern with us. So it's a mix, I yeah. would say. We've even for some positions, we've considered having um, HR companies try and put out job specs and okay. get candidates for okay. us. So we've tried all sorts. And then for some of our customer service support, actually we worked with a small business owner who was finding candidates for us. And so we paid a success fee and okay. so on. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a, a mix, I would say. What are some of the early decision steps you took that has ensured, I mean, your success this far? So I think one of them is what you've just spoken about, yep. making sure you recruit the right people. But aside the human factor, what else What else was the key decision you had to take? I think one of our differentiators is customer service. Mm-hmm. And so today we still get very good feedback from our users about our customer support. In fact, today <laughs> I demonstrated our customer support to you, Mayfa. <laughs> so um, I think that was very important. The other bit is we wanted to make sure our service stood out and worked consistent, reliable. And so we built a platform to be very robust and to deliver and to follow up for the customer. You know, we've had to make sure that we are the company that solves your problem, not sends you to the service provider. Majority of the issues that people may face it's usually not the core Expressway platform itself. Right. But what we do is we take it upon ourselves to reach out to that particular service provider sure. to say, hey, we're sure. we have this customer, this customer paid for this service. They say there's a problem, it's not been resolved. We've literally sent a team from our office yeah. to go and find someone at ECG and take them to someone's house mm. to address a postpaid billing issue. Mm. 
That's mm. how far. <laughs> I mean, that's not standard, but yeah, that's how far course. we've had to go. And so I think that's been a great point for us. Yeah. It's been a, a great decision to do that. And we're going to continue to make sure we are striving to be as good as possible. Right. Yeah. I tell us, our team all the time, it's not, you're not just there to answer phone calls. You're there to solve the customer's problem. Mm. So it's not mm. us talking to them and that's it. Mm. But you are actually following through and solving the problem so the customer is happy. Yeah. Yeah. Day on day, week on week, month on month, you were seeing the numbers, you know, moving sort of like a hockey stick. Yes. <laughs> and in some instances, actually, did that motivate or depress you? It depends on what the numbers looked like. No, it always, remember, I touched on this a little earlier. It always um, motivated us. Mm. So it's funny because an entrepreneur, your projections are always super high, mm. right? Mm. And so we obviously didn't hit the super high projections we came into the market with, mm. but it was... I think the human factor, that feedback from users appreciating our service was yeah. always encouraging. Yeah. And so when you added customers and so on, we were always excited by it. We were always excited by it. And we are still excited. One of the things I love is when I meet people and they find out I'm affiliated with ExpressPay. I love ExpressPay. I use it for everything. Yeah. Then they show me the app. Yeah. They log in, they show me all the transactions. I love that because yeah. it means we are yeah. really meeting their needs. Yeah. And so it's definitely not depressing at all. It's something to be excited about. I think when I speak for my partners, we all embrace it. We still haven't found it. And maybe we've concluded there's no silver bullet. Okay. We still want it to be in every, we want every, at least one person, every household using express pay. Right. We haven't reached there yet, right. but we are still hard at it to see. And, and I think it's possible to, to get there Yeah. at least within Ghana. And then we can look um, beyond Ghana as well. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to tell us how many users you currently have on the platform? I think I can tell you downloads. Mm. Last I checked, I think there are over 400,000 downloads of mm. the app both across iOS and Android. I don't know the exact figure yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah. So that's exciting for us. You mentioned you um, had a target you had set for yourselves coming in. So have you so exceeded or? You for still, downloads? Yeah. Our target was not really necessarily on downloads. Yeah. It was looking at revenue and so on. Okay. So are you there? We probably passed it, but we didn't pass it in the time frame we anticipated. Okay. Right. So say we are projections for four years. We are now older than four years, yeah. right? So we had definitely passed those numbers, but... We didn't hit it in the time frame we thought. Yeah. Remember when we came in thinking three months, yeah. the service would be on. And <laughs> right. then 20 months later, you're scratching your head wondering what's happening. <laughs> right. So there's still a ton of opportunity. When you think of digital payments, what we do, we barely scratch the surface. Yeah. Majority of the country is still cash. Yeah. So there's still a ton of opportunity to try and get people on. And part of it is also it's awareness, right? Yeah. And it's expensive. Marketing in Ghana is expensive. Yeah. So getting as many people aware of the platform and then hoping that the people that fit who naturally get it mm. would be easy conversions and they need to work hard at the rest to bring them in. Mm. But it is an expensive process as well to acquire users. Yeah. So we are still hard at it. <laughs> You've taken some key strategic um, decisions. Um, case in point, recently you matched the transfer of fees, you know, to mobile money um, operators. So what was the motivation for that decision? Two things, actually. One, the market's was at 1% for yeah. mobile money. Yeah. But people didn't necessarily think of it as we were different. Our economics work a little differently, especially when we do transactions from card to mobile money, mm -hmm. right? When you're doing on mobile money, you're using the mobile money platform. Everything is on their platform. So the 1%, there's enough margin there. For us, when we are doing cross transfers, which is one of the things we are known for, a lot of people send money from their bank account to a mobile yeah. money platform yeah. or even across mobile money platforms. Yeah. Right, where you may have MTN yeah. and you may send money to Airtel Tigo yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. 
So for us, we have a cost when we are pooling the money. Yeah. And that cost is typically higher than the 1%. So that was one, right? Where there was that disconnect. Yeah. But the market was at 1%. So we needed to figure out how we get to 1%. And yeah. then you find that banks and so on are also offering our service. Some of them use us, by the way. Okay. So okay. they're using our service. Yeah. But yeah, they were below our price point. And so in a way, even though you're making revenue from there, you are cannibalizing your core express pay app as well. So the, we had to make a decision there to our users. Okay. Again, we like to listen to our users. Mm. Some users were telling us you are expensive, yeah. right? They're telling us express pay. So we used to hear this. I love express pay, but, but, yeah. and we wanted to get rid of that, but, yeah. so everyone was, was telling us they love express pay and they would tell us, but, yeah. and that, but was always about price. Right. So what we found was that our users didn't really care about the underlying economics. They didn't care <laughs> what was happening and so on. <laughs> All they knew was that when I do it here, I pay 1%. Cost, yeah. And so it was a tough decision for us because we had to essentially subsidize the cost. Yeah. And we are still working creatively to make it possible across by thinking of a mix of businesses, of business segments. And you yeah. take a hit because when you do that, so for now, we are, there is a marketing element in there, okay. right? Where we are sort of treating us as marketing, right? Yeah. To try and get people to uh, be able to continue paying for the, these transactions at yeah. that price point. And I think that is generally removed the butt. Shortly afterwards, a lot of people like, I love the new price point, right? <laughs> so we're just shocking because even people who hadn't said anything about it are telling you they love that move. But it takes time for you to feel the full effect. And we still need to work with the underlying partners. Yeah. So your source of funds. So when you pull from Vodafone Cash, mm. right? How much does it cost us to pull, mm. right? When you pull from an MTN mobile money, when you pull from your Visa card, yeah. when you pull from your MasterCard. So we are still having some conversations yeah. so that the economics are sustainable. Right. But because the P2P space, which which this is, operates differently from your typical merchant payment, yeah. where you show up at a shop and you put your card into a POS. Yeah. That merchant is paying a fee. Yeah. Right. And that fee is usually much higher than the 1%. But people don't, again, consumers are oblivious to it, Yeah, uh, which is okay. That's not, they don't care about those details. And so we sort of took that model and applied that model in the P2P space. Mm. So we had to re-engineer the way it works mm. so that the economics make sense. Yeah. And it's still a work in progress, I would say. Which brings me to my next question, actually. When the government took a decision to talk about or to open up mobile money into our probability. Because mm-hmm. that was sort of like your main selling factor in the beginning when Express Pay. Well, for me as a user, mm-hmm. I, I was happy with the fact that I could send, you know, money to other networks and I couldn't do that on my core telecom network. And then this decision comes, which allows me to do that on my core telecom network. So then in that case, why do I need to use Express Pay? How did that make you guys feel? What were you thinking? Were you saying, oh my goodness, we're about to fold up? You know, what was that like? So remember... Because our business is so diversified, mm. because we offer so many services. So money transfer is one of the things we do. Okay. But you're allowing people to buy their airtime, to pay their DSTV, mm. to pay for internet, to pay church tides, mm. to pay insurance. Mm. There's a whole host of business segments we cover. Right. So you can't on the back of that say, oh my God, I'm about to go under. <laughs> right. right. So that's one. Two is we, I think generally on one hand, the mobile money interoperability and pushing at that national level is good for payments. Mm-hmm. But maybe what you can argue is there were different models. One model was to use GIPS to do it. Another yeah. model could have been to use some of the existing fintechs who were doing it yeah. to enable it. 
but that decision was made and you have to live with it and make sure you can adjust. Yeah. So we, yeah. there wasn't much we could, we, we couldn't do much about that. Yeah. But remember, there's also an experience. People love Express Bay also because of the experience they have. Yes. So we haven't seen an impact on our numbers from okay. an interoperability perspective okay. since okay. it happened. Okay. Our users are still using us, are still strong. Mm-hmm. In fact, and our pricing is great. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's not had any significant impact, I would say. It's still growing. I know we we follow the numbers and mobile money interoperability is growing. But I remember most of those, most of those doing that are using it from a USSD interface, mm-hmm. whereas Expressway, you're using an app. So yeah. the demographics, I think, at the moment that we are appealing to are a little different and that has shielded us a little bit okay. from it. But okay. generally, it's opening up more people's acceptance of electronic payments, mm. which if you think about it, will ultimately have a positive effect mm. for us because a lot of people who say are in the formal sector are pushing money to the informal sector who may be using mobile money as their acceptance solution. And so they are now willing, when you tell the yam seller that I'll send them mobile money, yeah. they are willing to accept yeah. it. Yeah. So it's, pos- it's sort of helping everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So Curtis, it's quite a competitive landscape in Ghana with quite a number of fintech companies that are actually doing what you do. Yes. So how do you keep your head above the water? How do you ensure that you differentiate yourself from your competitors? I think ultimately it's about innovating. Mm. So I almost feel like every day I wake up and hear there's another pay in town, mm. something pay, <laughs> A pay, B pay, C pay. But we need to make sure we are innovating for us in our DNA. We're always listening to our users and our customers as well. Okay. So listen to them, listen to their needs, take their feedback and try and develop it mm. and continue to innovate and give people um, better products, better experiences, give them what they need. If you give them what they need, you're going to continue to remain relevant. Mm. And I would say, again, I think they, they, We've barely scratched the surface in terms of the opportunity. Majority of transactions in the country are still cash. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of room to continue to penetrate, to penetrate. So digital sort of increases relative to cash. For us, for instance, we're also going into other segments that we weren't in uh, previously. Mm. And so, for instance, a lot of people know us for our app where you sit in your office, you sit at home and pay remotely. Mm-hmm. But we realize it's an opportunity in a face-to-face segment. So okay. we now have POSs out mm. where you can show up at the shop where you can then pay by POS with your Visa, MasterCard, GHLink card, American Express, what have you, and also QR. So we've developed an interoperable QR that okay. will work across different bank apps or work across Express Bay. We are starting to deploy that as well. Mm. And so we think the market's interesting. There's a ton of opportunity and you need to make sure you're continuing to drive and offer relevant products to consumers and you will remain relevant. Right. What are the future plans? Like what can customers um, look forward to. Yeah. So I think it's just the POS or the face-to-face segment is one of them. Okay. But even within our consumer app, we're going to continue to add interesting services. One mm. of the exciting ones that's coming is for events mm. where people want to buy tickets for events. Mm. Right. So imagine you, there's an event happening. You want to just purchase the ticket. Yeah. But when it, when it comes to events, you two things to solve for. One is the purchase, which is easy. You could always have paid on Express Bay. Yeah. But the second part is when you get there, how yes. do they validate that you yes. paid? Yes. So we, we, we developed a solution as well that will help them validate. So you show up, they just scan your QR code, you're good to go. You get in. So oh, wow. I think that'll be exciting. I think that'd be a big one for next year. Mm. You're going to have a few um, opportunities to use it in December. And then most likely opening it up next year. So 
for a lot of their various shows that people are having, mm. we think that they may naturally gravitate to listing them on Express Bay mm. and it offers an end-to-end management solution yeah. for people. So that's one example. But there are other services we are going to offer to consumers within the, the app itself okay. uh, on the consumer side. So I just talked about the face-to-face segment where you're now going to start to see Express Bay POS mm. or QR code mm. at various shops. So you go there, you can scan and pay. We've already started deploying. You're going to see more of that. One other thing we're looking to enable is remittance, okay. inbound remittance. So we have approval from the UK's Financial Conduct Authority to be able to originate from there. And so we are going to then terminate into bank accounts and mobile money accounts here within Ghana, mm, but also into multiple countries. So we've signed an agreement with another company that would allow us to terminate into multiple data markets. Mm. And we will likely use that as a springboard for getting into some other countries where the services we have, be yeah. it the consumer business, be it the B2B business, be it our merchant acquisition business on POS and, and QR. So the future is exciting. I think there's a lot, there's a lot, um, there are a lot of possibilities. Uh, we just have to really take them on, be strategic about it, yeah. resource appropriately and, and get it done. Yeah. Fantastic. Very bright future. Yeah. 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 The torch is bright. We just need to make sure we, we sustain it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have on the show what we call the rock stars quote. Mm-hmm. And this is really anything that motivates you or keeps you going. Mm-hmm. And on behalf of yourself and your partners, what is the rock stars quote for Express Pay? Let's make it happen. <laughs> so that's my my personal one is you're, okay. you're talking about a different idea. Or for instance, this idea, we discussed the event solution. Let's make it happen. I like yeah. to say that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we hope you've enjoyed listening to our podcast. Our guest today has been Curtis Van Der Poy. He is the co-founder and CEO of Express Pay. And like you said, make it happen. We'll catch you on the next episode. Goodbye. <laughs>